P-S-N-Y. We are back. This is Bleacher Creatures episode 155, brought to you as always by Elite Sports NY, XL Media, Crossing Broad, War Gaming, and Rivercrest NYC. Spring training rolls on. Um, what so what do we really think of these new rules? Watching them now. So Jump right I, in. Yeah, I, I love the time, the pitching clock. Yeah. Uh, and you know my opinions on that very, very much, like very well. Um I'm a little bit still confused about the disengagements from the rubber and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, but overall, like, I think we're seeing some really positive results. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think it's a bad thing to wanting to speed the game up. I don't think it's a bad thing wanting to, you know, try to keep people's attention, you know, especially in this day and age where everyone's attention spans are pretty short. Yeah. Age of social media. But look, I mean, for anyone who's complaining about the time clock, what what it's doing to great effect so far is it's bringing the game back to where it was, you know, pretty much up until the nineties, which is yeah, swift moving games that isn't that don't sacrifice action. Like you know, I, I would understand criticism if people were saying that the pitch clock is is sacrificing action because it's like moving way too quick and people can't like succeed under those conditions. And we're kind of like in a dead ball era, but you know, we've seen teams put up relatively high scoring numbers and the game still be at a very manageable pace. So, I mean, I'm going to level with you. I've in the handful of spring training games that I've watched and I'll probably have the, cause they're not using it in the WBC, right? No, they're not. Okay. Well, regardless, I, I honestly haven't noticed it. Well, yeah, like th- like that's what I mean. It, yeah. I haven't noticed. Well, it, it's weird because I haven't I didn't notice the this pitch clock in the sense of it speeding the game up. But when I watched the Panama and Chinese Taipei uh, game, I noticed the lack of a pitch clock. I was like, oh wow, this is actually, this is slowed down a bit. Pitcher stepping off multiple times. The the not having the right signs, all of a sudden the at bat starts dragging on. I'm like, oh wow. Um, and then in our group chat, you know, I I put out the time for that game where I think it was like 15 runs were scored and the game yeah. lasted a little bit a little over four hours. Well, also it's important to note that was a bullpen game on both sides. Yeah, but like uh, but I don't know if you saw my follow-up message regarding the Tigers game yesterday where 16 runs were scored and one less pitcher was used. Hmm. So I'm I I expect these bullpen games that will slow down the game a bit, but that Tigers game was I think a little under 3 hours. I think there was a 63 minute difference between games. In the same group chat, you made a very good point and showed us that chart showing how much game time has increased over the years. But that really got me thinking because for all the, all the older listeners out there, I mean, I'm, I just turned 37. So like for all of us in like the 35 to 45 range and older than that, God damn it. Um, uh, you'll remember how back in the early mid 90s, 
Yankees games, they didn't start at 7 o'clock at 1 o'clock. They started at 7.30 and 1.30. And I remember distinctly going to a lot of 1.30 games, and we usually left the ballpark between 4 and 4.15. So that would make it, yeah, like like you showed on the chart, about 2 hours, 45 minutes. Yeah. Now, now, granted, baseball wasn't as offensive a game as it was back then. The new shift rules on the pitch clock are designed specifically to enhance offense. Like The game had to evolve. It kind of like what we saw with the NHL after the lockout in 05. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, where they came back and said, okay, we're going to get rid of the tie. We're going to have shootouts, but we're still going to eliminate the two-line pass. We're going to loosen up some penalty rules. And overall, like you and I both watched, the effect on the game has been positive. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the big thing, too, that, you know, because I think you asked the question, why speed the game up when you could just, you know, get rid of the shift? And, like, would that be enough, right? right. Um it's really encouraging to see Major League Baseball put in place parameters to allow hitters to succeed more. Yeah. Without it dragging the game on. Because, you know, remember those old Sunday night games between the Yankees and Red Sox where it's an absolute slugfest and it pushes four hours, 30 minutes, 445. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's 1130 at night. It's like, damn, I got to either go to work the next morning or I got to get up for school the next morning. Yeah. You know. So far in spring training, again, this could completely change, and I could be singing a different tune from the regular season. But so far in spring training, you know, we're seeing some high-scoring games that aren't lasting as long as, you know, we might be used to seeing. So it just seems like kind of the best of both worlds. You know, it's shorter time, just as action-packed, if not maybe more action-packed. And, you know, for a game that's struggling, like just on a – like national scape the sure. game that is struggling to capture the attentions of especially the younger generation um you know this is a good thing we you know we want the game to grow we want the game to succeed and if that means that we have to make some i don't know radical changes as as you know this has probably been the most radical change to an, an, the start of an MLB season we've seen in uh, i don't know how long but yeah you know if it's going to work out the way it seems to, you know, seems how it's going in spring training, hell, this, you know, I'm as critical as anyone about Rob Manfred. I might have to clap my hands, you know, and, and applaud him for this. Yeah, I mean, just from a baseball standpoint, too, and this will pivot right into the Yankees left field mix, uh, you could see not just certain hitters, but every hitter, they're going up there and they're just hitting. They're just playing the game. They're not having that sort of mental chess match of, okay, I've got to hit the ball over here. I need to look for specifically this kind of pitch. I need to make sure that like it go, that my bat is in this part of the zone. I got to be looking over the outer third, middle third, inner third of the plate. No, right now it's like, like Cito Gaston's managing style. Just go out and play case in point, Aaron Hicks hitting that ball hard the other yeah. night. Yeah, like he looks at, like granted, like the results aren't the sexiest you'd expect from a from a Yankees outfielder, but just the confidence you can see in his body language in the box. He's just there. He's standing there waiting on his pitch and he's confident in his swing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was watching the game today and there were a couple swings where even he missed like when he missed the ball. I was still like, you know, what? that wasn't a bad swing. He looked balanced. He looked like he was in his legs. Didn't look like his front shoulder was flying open like it tends to do, especially on those off speed pitches. You know, yeah, I, I, anyone who knows me knows I am very critical of Aaron Hicks, and I 
don't really see a place for him on this team, but I'm going to give him credit. Like he's looked good so far. What a testament to Dylan Lawson, the hitting coach too, because in our group chat with our buddy Cam, who is the co-host of the Dugout Tuck podcast, definitely check that out on YouTube and SoundCloud. Um, but yeah, um, one thing we all noticed last year is that, yeah, the Yankees were being a little too home runner bust for anyone's liking because of the shifts. But at the same time, compared to the Marcus Tim year, Tim's years, they were taking much cleaner swings. Mm-hmm. And like right now, ex- except for Josh Donaldson, who f- finally lifted a ball today, it's a miracle. Um, everyone is take everyone is taking cleaner swings through the middle of the zone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's really, uh, you know, other than maybe Donaldson, there's a guy who you can be critical of. Like I said, there have been some swings and misses from Hicks where I can still sit there and be like, that was a very good swing. I liked what I saw there. He just missed the ball. And guess what? It's baseball. That's going to happen. Um, you know, guys like Donaldson, on the other hand, where they're still having a hard time lifting the ball. I don't know if that's their, you know, his swing path has historically always been flat. Um, but you might have mentioned it, just like the bat speed disappearing and he's catching that ball a little bit later. Like I mean, know. he's 37, not 27. Yeah, yeah, you know. So that's still concerning and, and a little frustrating, but everyone else in camp, you know, I'm I'm happy with what I've seen so far. I think that another name we're definitely going to keep an eye on all year, because first off, DJ LeMahieu is a valuable asset. Just if you can have that sort of everyday Ben Zobers type utility player, play him all around the field, that is, for my money, one of the most underrated assets you can have. The Yankees mm-hmm. got two of them right now. You got DJ LeMahieu, and then you got Oswaldo Cabrera, who... First game at center field today. What does he do? A diving catch. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, it, it, it's like he goes out looking to overachieve from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a dude who's just hungry to make plays, you know, kind of like a Harrison Bader. Yeah. And, you know, if, if Cabrera's bat can develop into what I think it could possibly be, I mean, he's going to be a hell of a ball player. Hell of a valuable wall player. I mean, if he, I, I mean, like his ceiling's probably hitting between 260 and 275 with 20 ish home runs a year. That's not a terrible place to be at all. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I was thinking. I was like, if he can be a 270 yeah. hitter with that, you know, 20 home runs and just play all over the place and provide above average defense, like that's a valuable player that, you know, winning teams need. Yeah. Like, does he need to shorten the swing a little bit? Yeah. But he's also young and can, that can be developed. Yeah, absolutely. He's like easily one of the most coachable players on the Yankees. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Speaking of the outfield, though, uh, Aaron Boone said on the broadcast today that the plan is to get Giancarlo Stanton between 40 and 60 games in the outfield. What do we think about that? Um, I think 60 is very optimistic. Yes. I'd say 40 is very optimistic. I think he could probably doable. Yeah. I, you know, let's see. How many games will they play against the Red Sox? So you take him, you put him in left field for those games. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think 40 is definitely doable. I, and I, it's one of those instances where I do believe Stanton when he says he, like that can help him stay a little bit more in the flow of the game. I can get that because also, like, because he's also going to be working his muscles more. He's going to be staying a lot looser. Yeah. And, and it's again, what they said on the broadcast, I can't, I, 
who was it uh curry on the broadcast today today it was bob lorenz and jack curry yeah okay yeah so I, one of them said you know let's not forget before the trade like he was the everyday right fielder for the miami marlins like yeah. you know now that was four years ago but the dude can play out field you know and i think we've seen him successfully alter his workout regimen to avoid those soft tissue injuries you know that were plaguing him in the beginning of his yankee tenure um you know i i think we can get 40 to 45 games out of him in right field we'll see i mean i got it it's hard to not watch Stanton and just kind of brace yourself. Okay, like the cap injury is coming, uh, the hamstring's coming. So I don't know. Hopefully this does this does keep his legs fresh. Yeah, but I don't know. I just feel like you've got such good defense in the outfield with between Judge. You got Bader, Hicks when he's actually paying attention. He's half decent. Same with Cabrera. Yeah. So as going back to the outfield, uh, last episode we talked about. The Martian Jason Dominguez, <laughs> and uh, he's performed as advertised, hasn't he? Kids are real, the the real deal. You know, he's he's something that he's a specimen. I I understand how young he is, and we kind of figured, okay, let's be realistic. He's like 19, 20, facing 26, 27 year olds in the minors. He's got to adjust to that. Whatever work he was doing in the offseason, he came in and it's like he's been playing for 10 years in the majors. Oh, yeah. He he looks like he belongs. It's now, 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 now here's a question. Here's a question. Let's say it's midseason. He's tearing it up in AAA. The Yankees have a little more value in left field. Maybe it's suddenly it's a little easier to move Hicks. Do you trade Hicks for, say, an arm and otherwise minorly depth and promote Dominguez? Yeah. You do it? Yeah. I mean, like, because, you know, uh, with my job, you know, I am usually writing a lot of memorabilia stuff for and and baseball cards of high-ranked prospects, and Jason Dominguez is a name that comes across my desk a lot. So I've been reading a lot on his, you know, scouting report. And he's, at worst, a corner outfielder, a corner everyday outfielder. If he doesn't at best, at best, he's an everyday center fielder. Exactly. So if he's tearing it up at triple A, or you know, if he starts off hot at double A, he goes up to triple A and is having a good year, and the Yankees are like, you know what? Let's give a kid, let's give the kid the month of September. And if he sticks, he sticks, right? They give him a true sure. arm shot at that spot. I highly doubt it. If if Hicks performs in the way that we are have been accustomed to him performing over the last couple of years, I highly doubt calling up Dominguez is going to provide any worse value at the plate than what Hicks has been providing. Well, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like baseball's own own weird version of the Packers quarterback situation right now because now you have Aaron Rodgers didn't even make the playoffs last year. He's going to earn anywhere between fifty and sixty million dollars a year. Then you got Jordan Love, who's still in his rookie contract, and it could probably give you at or about the same results, but at a discount. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, like, you know, if worse comes to worse, where he's a defensive liability or he's not comfortable playing left field at Yankee Stadium yet, 
You have Oswaldo Cabrera. You have Rafael Ortega. You have these. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm not sold on Ortega anymore, man. I'm just like maybe I'm alone on an island there, but yeah, okay. the The swing is there. The defense isn't great, and between him and Willie Calhoun, I'm going to take Willie Calhoun just because it's just because he doesn't strike out. Yeah, I mean. And oh, oh I'm going to say it right now, and it's not just because they have the same number. Willie Calhoun has to be our Matt Carpenter this year. <laughs> That, that that has to happen. Can he grow the mustache? Who cares? Well, the mustache is very important. Well, he's probably in San Diego now, so he probably has the full beard. <laughs> no, actually, I think I saw him with that with that fuzzy worm on his lip. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you know, there are options to hey, if Dominguez isn't ready to take it then you got fallback options and and none of them are going to be much worse than what we are going to expect from Hicks. Now, if Hicks comes out and proves us all wrong and becomes the hitter he was a few years ago, then yeah, then you let Dominguez marinate for another year and you see what happens the following year. Agreed. Uh, Shifting to pitching. uh, It seems obvious now Holmes has a firm grip on the closer job. Loisga is probably the main setup man. Uh, other than, the, and we were talking earlier today, Wandy Peralta's throwing 97 all of a sudden. Yes. Yeah, it's I'm, beyond me where that came from. I don't know. Maybe like he, maybe working quicker has allowed him to just alter his mechanics and up his velocity. Maybe. I mean, but regardless, now we all of a sudden learn Tommy Canley's got bicep tendonitis. He's probably going to be out until we'll call it mid, late April. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now Ron Marinaccio, who's still dealing with the shin issue, he's pitching for the first time tomorrow. Do we need to be worried about the Yankee bullpen? No. You don't think so? No. Again, uh, yeah, we got Michael Wood too. Yeah, yeah. King is back, and he looked good. He did. And what have we been saying for the last X amount of months? (sighs) College arms in the international draft. Yes. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) <laughs> so the Yankees are not going to have any problem finding a high velocity guy who's going to eat up some of those innings. Speaking of high velocity, how about the life that Clark Schmidt's been showing on the mound? I actually have not been able to catch him live. I I've only seen one of his performances. I think maybe I can't remember whether he pitched since then, but oh, dude, he looked angry out there. Good, good. I mean, yeah, like, he's throwing a cutter now. He's out. He's got confidence. He like knows like okay. I'm a starter. He's got a little bit of fuck you in him. That's 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 been a common trend for Yankee pitchers. It seems like adding the cutter. Yeah, last year it was the sweeper uh, along with the cutter, and this year it's definitely been the cutter more often. Yeah, because I think Cole was throwing a few cutters. Cole is a oh, he Cole, looks good. Cole looks the best he's been as a Yankee. Yeah, that, that fastball. Oof. I think it looked untouchable today. Yeah, maybe like maybe he's gotten used to pace of play. Yeah, yeah, and I think another thing too, they were talking about on the broadcast is this is the first full, uninterrupted, unchanged spring training that teams have had for what three years. Well, last last year was normal ish, from what I understand. Well, didn't the uh, wasn't last year the lockout? the the oh oh right right the lockout yeah you're right yeah so, um but no yeah yeah you're you're absolutely right this was the first yeah fully normal offseason we've had in a while 
Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that affects some guys. Like, you know, for a guy like Cole, he like you like we just said, he this is the best he's looked at this stage. Um and it's really encouraging. Not to keep jumping around from topic to topic, but um we I figure we need to touch on this. Uh, Frankie Montas all but admitted today that, yeah, he wasn't 100% when he came over from Oakland last year. He was trying to pitch through it. A, shame on Brian Cashman for going through with the deal anyway, because he had to know Montas wasn't 100%, right? Yeah. B, you probably noticed this too. Montez, who throws like the sinker, the splitter, the this, the that, comes to the Yankees, all of a sudden he's pounding that four-seamer. Now, now granted, Granted, I I understand that, especially after how they mishandled Jordan Montgomery's development, pretty much told him not to throw his fastball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see. I figured, okay, let's let's have Montez reestablish that fastball just as sort of like an establishment pitch. Which, okay, fine. But when you know the guy is hurt coming over, telling him to all of a sudden use more velocity seems like not the thing to do, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just the case of Montez being like, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And they're like, um, all right, go ahead. I like I want to say that was probably it. Like, I don't know how much information was passed on to Boone and Blake about you know where where he stood health wise. But yeah, it's not a good look for anyone involved. So Yeah, and now granted, it's not the worst thing in the world, just because thankfully Montez looks like he'll be able to come back this year. He says he I can he can absolutely do it. He's not going to throw for another nine to ten weeks. So, like we said on a previous episode, that's going to pick his return at or about the All Star break, maybe a little closer to August first, just for conservative estimate. Yeah. But at the same time, this as I dropped my phone. <laughs> but we talked a lot last year about how Cashman kind of seems too into his own game plan. Mm-hmm. In the front office, in terms of building a roster, but now it seems like he's kind of taken an inventory on that slash Hal chewed him out accordingly over the new contract, and then all of a sudden you got Omar Minaya, you got Brian Sabian, you got all sort of these old school minds in there who understand the numbers and the deeper analytics, but aren't necessarily married to them in the same way Cashman was. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, you need so, that. Yeah, so maybe if maybe if one of those guys is in the room last year, they'll say, "Hey, like pump the brakes on Montez. Maybe look, maybe try to trade for another guy." Yeah, or I don't know. You can hope. Maybe you can only hope that this is the first and last time Cashman makes such a mistake because people forget acquiring Frankie Montez was not cheap for the Yankees at all. No, no, because no. JP Sears and Ken Waldachuk are probably both going to crack the opening day uh, roster and probably both be in the rotation for Oakland Sears mm-hmm. especially. Uh, Medina, he's he might be a bullpen arm depending on how hard they want to tank, but at the same time, like the Yankees, like this is the worst kept, the best kept secret in all of baseball, man. The Yankees over the last few years have kind of sort of gutted their minor league pitching depth, they don't have a lot of big names on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think it's going to be a lot of names that they that they have left are the guys who are going to be those fringe arms, those guys who will spend some time in the bullpen, but aren't going to be the guys who will lead the, um, 
you know, the rotation. So, well, I, I think that's a big part of why Sabian is back in the building, just because look at what he did with the giants, that whole team, that whole dynasty was designed around homegrown pitching. Yeah. So maybe he's there just to get, cause he's obviously got an eye and a knack for scouting it. So maybe he's there just to like, just to rebuild the pitching farm from the ground up. Yeah. I'm looking at the Yankees top. What is it? Top 30. Yeah, um, their top pitching prospect doesn't slot in until number eight, and he's at rookie ball. Yeah, and then they have, but then after that, you know, nine, ten, and eleven are pitchers as well. But you know, none of them are higher than double A at the moment. the The good news for the Yankees is that this isn't a super emergency right now because Severino, because you got Cole and Rodon locked up; they're not going anywhere. Yep, uh, Severino. It's the last year of his contract. He's made it very clear. I want to stay a Yankee. Nestor is under team control for a few more years. Then you got Schmidt, Herman. Like you, you might have to pay a guy for a little bit, but for the most part, like you're not up up a creek without a paddle in terms of the rotation being um being, I don't know, or, or the, the 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 pitching depth rather not being what it should be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Yankees have two guys who can absolutely lead a rotation on their own in Cole and Rodon, and then everyone else. Yeah, they have the necessary depth pieces. And at this stage of where the Yankees want to be, which is contention, which is, you know, hopefully World Series championships, it, you know, that's fine. You have the two big horses locked up. Everything else, you just got to have good serviceable arms who are going to give you solid consistent innings and even if cole does opt out after next year which let's be honest he might because he's going to want 40 million a year and and he'll deserve it Mm. i don't see him leaving the yankees by any stretch yeah Yeah. because he's not gonna go to the dodgers because his wife hates the dodgers (laughs) no he's on record saying no amy doesn't like the dodgers good for her well i guess that makes sense right yeah, well, well, she, well, she's like, she's a hardcore Angels fan, or at least grew up one. Now, wait, is she is she the one who's related to Brandon Crawford? Yeah, that's her brother. Okay, yeah, all right, that's what I thought. So she's an Angels fan. She wouldn't be a Giants fan. I'm pretty sure they're all from Orange County. Huh. Weird. Well, 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 because she and Garrett met at UCLA because she was a softball player. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I what mean, a hey. ba- what a baseball family though. All oh, right. They'll be so talented. Their kids. Yeah, they're uh, their oldest, Caden. It, may, maybe it's backwards, but it looks like he's a lefty, and he's already got. He already knows what he's doing around a T. There we go. <laughs> Let's go, man. <laughs> All right. What else? What else? What else is going on in baseball? Um. Oh yeah, let's talk about Volpe, and how he needs to be playing right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, why, he, why he's not? the real deal. He's the real deal, he's, man. He's the real deal. Absolutely. And and I think David Cohen said it best where he was just like, you need athletes. And this kid's a freaking athlete. Kid's a stud. He has showcased everything in this spring training so far. Will there, like, if he were to make the opening day roster, will there, Will there be hiccups? Absolutely. You expect them some growing pains, especially from someone who is 21. Yeah. Uh yeah, 21. So, but I mean, come on. The the kid is just he's a gamer. He from is, what 
from what I'm hearing on Twitter, it sounds like Peraza is going to get the opening day job. I heard that too. Yeah, which that's fine. Like he, we need a glove at the position, and like he's a good enough, he's good enough with the bat that he'll be fine. Oh yeah. And then not only that, we were talking about Donaldson earlier. Let's say Donaldson keeps struggling with the bat. Pretty soon, you could argue give him the Joey Gallo treatment, just kind of keep him on the bench until he can find until the trade deadline when you can trade him for an A level arm. Stick Peraza or Cabrera at third base. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. Put Cabrera, put, put Cabrera there. He'll probably win a gold glove just for playing three innings. <laughs> Cabrera will win a gold glove playing anywhere. Or you could put TJ LeMahieu at third base and put, and yeah, and just keep Torres at second. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the Yankees have a lot of infield depth and a lot of moving pieces where, again, it kind of leads to like back to the conversation we had about trying to get Stanton in the outfield more times than not and Judge getting reps and left because when you're freeing up that DH spot, you can remove one of those infielders off the field and put them in the DH spot and then have the Ute, you know, coming in and, and the two Utes, the two Utes. Coming in and playing Oops. the field. So, you know, there's – it's interesting. You know, we've seen it a lot with this team, I feel like, over the last couple of years. But there is a dynamic and there is a versatility to this team that is commendable. And yeah. if the Yankees fill those pieces with the right – or fill those spots with the right pieces, such as Volpe – Cabrera, Peraza, the young athletic studs, the team can, could have a lot of success. Agreed, especially because while the East is going to be competitive this year, I wouldn't say it's going to be hyper-competitive, if that makes sense. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm always slow to write off Tampa because it's Tampa, who knows, but it seems like, you know, Toronto is probably going to be the biggest threat, but Toronto is just one of those teams where it's like, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So uh, I actually have a theory about Toronto and why they've kind of always fallen short, especially as of late. Uh, So Mark Shapiro runs the front office there, right? Mm -hmm. So in reading uh, Tom Verducci's book about uh, Joe Torre, the Yankee years, uh, it turns out that while he was in Cleveland, Shapiro developed essentially his own version of Moneyball via computer software, and it was used to build young pitching staffs. Hmm. And so think about Cleveland over the over the past like 20-ish years. The one common denominator is that they are they turn they churn out good young pitching. Like we've got Shane Bieber, Corey Kluber, Tristan McKenzie, the list goes on. Uh, I'm wondering if when he went to Toronto, the reason they haven't seen as much success there is because Cleveland wouldn't let him bring that program with them. Like, hmm. you can go to Toronto, we keep the program. Maybe. Yeah, because I'm like, what, their rotation is... I'm like, they have... They have Manoa, but that's not so much as, like, you know, building something as more of just, I stumbled across this gem in the desert kind of thing. Yeah. No, yeah. Like, oh, hey, look what I found. Oh, it's yeah. Like, what what has Nate Pearson done? Nothing. Yeah, you know, you know. Oh, that's an, another thing too. Remember, uh, I I think one of the first at bats I saw Volpe live as I was watching was against Nate Pearson, and Volpe just sh- stroked a nice clean single to right field. I was like, oh, that was beautiful. Um, you know, the Barrios has been an utter failure in Toronto, and they paid him too, and and they paid him, yeah. 
Kikuchi. He's Kikuchi. He's Kikuchi. And, you know, there's always going to be something about a left-hander in the AL East. So, like... Chris Bassett was a fine addition. Like, I think that he overall makes their rotation a little bit better, but he's not a game-changer. Yeah, he doesn't move the needle for me that much. And who knows if he's going to carry over that success he had with the Mets into, you know, Toronto. You know, the two guys that concerned me the most are Manoa and to a lesser extent Gossman. So, you know, those are yeah. guys, those are guys that the Yankees can match arm for arm. Yeah. Now the Rays, you said they're always going to be kind of a concern because they're the Rays. But if you look at the roster, it's more a testament to how good Kevin Cash is as a manager. Cause if he's got this little ragtag group of players, pretty much money ball light. Yeah. And if he's getting them to be that competitive, that that just shows, hey, he he's doing something right. The same with Brandon Hyde and the Orioles last year. And I'm the excited Ra- to see the Orioles, by the way. Yeah, me too. Like, especially because it looks like Grayson Rodriguez is going to be ready a year early. Yeah. And then, you know, just I'm a big Adley Rutschman fan. I, I can't wait to see what he has for a full year. Yeah, and uh, Gunnar Henderson this year. Yeah. yeah. So... At some point, they're going to have that Heston cured stat or whatever. And then the and then the Red Sox, it's uh, it's Rafael Devers and whatever's left of Justin Turner's face. Oh, dude, that was scary. Is it too soon to make that joke? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's fine. He's fine. He he is fine. Sixteen he, stitches though. Jesus Christ. Yeah, Sixteen stitches. He didn't lose any teeth, which seemed like a he I mean, didn't lose any teeth. He said his chiclets were all intact. Wow. So. You ever, you ever see have you ever witnessed someone lose a tooth on the field before in uh yes i have oh let's hear it let's hear uh, it our second i was playing first base and our second baseman was ranging back for a pop-up that was just you could tell off the bat was destined for you know the bermuda triangle yeah so he's running back our right fielder is running in he dove for the ball and like took a knee right to the face. The old, the old uh, Mike Cameron Carlos Beltran special. Yeah, and so I remember. I don't know if he still has it, but I remember he had one of those like fake teeth. Like yeah, fl- yeah, flipper. Yeah, yeah, and he would just always sit there in class, like following that game, just flipping it in and out. <laughs> and so I, I, I imagine he, you know, this was ten years ago. So I imagine yeah. he got that permanently. Yeah, this this didn't happen to me. Like this, like um, an old teammate claimed this happened just in like a street ball game. Uh, they're playing in the park, just kind of it's like a softball game, and he claimed this one guy was playing and was going to have a tooth pulled the next day. He <laughs> hits a gapper. He's sliding to base head first. Uh, the mouth goes right into the guy's like shin or whatever. He's like, oh, there we go, came out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> God, that that was always my biggest fear. Just like I have stress dreams of dental damage. Uh, well, I I've been I in the group chat. I've told my story about getting beamed all the time. So yeah. Now, now granted, I deserved it. Like, should should I tell the story for the pod? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I played high school baseball uh, for four years, and this wasn't a league game, but it was an annual game. We'll, we'll call it a running home and home. I don't know. I don't know if we still do it, but we played this school in Queens called the Lexington school for the deaf. Now I want to preface. 
This story does not include me making fun of deaf kids. That is wrong. Bullying is bad. Here we go. So because it was a non-league game, we and we were playing on their uh, whenever we played at their uh, home field, they got to enforce certain rules. Like like on uh, in right field uh, behind their fence was their main school building, kind of like a big red brick green monster almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the rule was if they hit it onto the roof, it's a home run. Visiting team hits it there, it's a double. It's not a league game. We don't make a fuss about it. So I remember, I, I can't remember whether this was like 10th or 11th grade, um, but I realized um, their coach was giving the signs from the dugout because like because it's a school for that after all communicating in sign language. And I noticed one particular hand motion that the coach made meant a fastball was coming. And so I'm like telling guys like, oh, like he, here's the tip for the pitch. If, if, he, if the coach does that, look for a fastball. And um, we stole a couple of hits off of it. And so I come up and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm batting left-handed against this guy. The best thing I can do, I've got to poke it to left field and hope I sneak it over the fence. Mm-hmm. So fastball comes, I just eke it over the fence. It's like kind of like, I, it was like a, a wrist swing that Todd Frazier used to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Did one of those kind of like flick it to left field that carries just enough and just clears the fence and the pitcher's looking like wow like he actually did that i'm rounding third base i look at the pitcher dead in the eyes i give the hand signal <laughs> just <laughs> just to know like hey you're like hey i know i know what you're doing and uh i got hit in the head the next time i came up to bat yeah i gotta say i think you kind of deserved that one. Oh, I, i'm fully aware i deserve that one it was like no different than bryce harper rounding third base in the minors and blowing a kiss yeah <laughs> <laughs> Although I think if you try that in a high school game right now, you would that would instigate a brawl because children are terrible. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they watch too much social media crap. Oh god, T- like TikTok, it's hat. Like, I don't. We're not. Nope. Nope. Not gonna go on my TikTok rant. Not. This is a baseball podcast. Not going on the TikTok rant. Let's okay. Start. All right, moving on. Um, okay, quick, quick. This isn't the Yankees, but they played the Cardinals today. Can we talk about Jordan Walker for a second? He's a he's a behemoth of a human. Yeah, he's kind of like Aaron Judge plus Dimitri Young. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll be interested to see like what he develops into being because yeah, I think it, they're it, gonna. I think they're gonna make him an outfielder. Uh, what was he originally? Third base. Yeah, yeah. I I think I remember them saying something about having him geared more towards the outfield. But even then, they have a pretty deep outfield to work with, don't Dude, they? The, the the Cardinals are a baseball machine. They've got Tyler O'Neill. They got Lars Newtbar. They got Dylan Carlson. Yeah, they, yeah. They they got options. They got. I'll throw a number at it yet. The Cardinals, they have not lost 100 games in a season since 1908. They have not lost 90 games in a season since 1990. Damn. Like, I I don't know what it is about this team. They've got player development down to a science. They're just, yeah, they're just a team that gets it. You know, they've always been kind of like my second favorite team. I can respect that. Just yeah, they've always been like fun to watch, and you know Wainwright, Molina, those days are gone. But like, Pools when he was coming up, 
uh, I'll still say to this day, like the 2011 World Series is a top five World Series in our yeah. lifetime. Yeah, absolutely. David Freeze triple. I mean, then the home run. Then the home run. It's one also one of my favorite players growing up was like Jim Edmonds. So, yeah. You know, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> uh, actually, speaking of elite center fielders, uh, Harrison Bader, they were talking on the broadcast today about how, just how good a defensive center fielder he is. And we know mm-hmm. that he can, and we saw in the playoffs, he can flash the power when needed. We also talked about Jason Dominguez. Is Harrison Bader the odd man out? Because his contract's up after this year. Um, Let's see. I mean... I don't. I wouldn't be so quick to say that he's the odd man out, but I think he is a expendable piece, depending how this next year goes. I mean, I know that's not really like an answer, but you know, I don't think the Yankee. I think the Yankees would look to retain him, and they would do well to retain him. But if they're like, if their hand is forced to where it's like, hey, like Dominguez is ready and the Stan experiment in right field went as well as we could have hoped, then they might be able to kind of just be like, you know what? We'll, we'll take that risk. We'll, we'll, you know, let him go, let him walk. I don't think he's any more of the odd man out than like Aaron Hicks is. No, I think, I think you're right there. I think that at a minimum, just because of what he brings to the locker room to like, to his plate appearances, to the defense in the outfield, I think at a minimum you gotta keep an extension for him or a new contract in the back of your mind. Now, like he, he's not gonna command like a five-year, hundred million dollar deal, but I think that if you could, all, if like you could get him for, I don't know, like three, four years at a reasonable rate, it's certainly not. It's certainly not a bad idea to keep him around, but obviously you just need to uh, monitor him over the season and figure out what he's actually bringing to the table and how expendable he is, if at all. Yeah, like I don't think he's due for an automatic extension, but no. I also don't think he's due for an immediate cut. You know, it's just don't don't Cashman can't do with Bader what he did with Hicks. Yes, that is that's absolutely correct. And he should be and he should be mindful of that when considering this, if he's considering it. Exactly. So yeah, I might it's a good problem to have though. So no such thing as too much depth. Absolutely. All right. So another short episode today, folks. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back uh, next week with the deeper dives in the spring training. We are on our countdown till opening day, March 30th, the big day. Uh, the Giants coming to town. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't, de- haven't decided if I'm going yet or not. Oh, no. <laughs> I, you know, I only have the one game on, on schedule right now, and that's when the Angels come visit the uh, Phillies. So oh, nice. But uh, yeah, finally going to be able to see hopefully Trout and Otani. Um, but yeah, did you I'm buy your Trey Turner jersey yet? Not yet, not yet. I haven't, uh, I haven't looked yet. But nice, I'm going to do that soon. I think I'm going to get a Nestor uh, jersey this year. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. <laughs>